There are two kinds of rugby players, boys. There's honest ones, and there's the rest. Let it go! Fucking manic aggression! Did you scare anyone? Did you fucking put the fear of God into anyone? Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Oh, but I've gone up and over and made a head over biscuit. This is my team, this is my country. I'm absolutely right. bloody well delighted. New Zealand proved their unbeatability once again. Australia have managed to rescue some sort of respect from... It was a pretty poor tournament. Leinster are the kings of Ireland. And uh, Connacht have managed a pretty big upset. Welcome back everybody to this week's episode of Tomato Salad. I'm your host Mark Donoghue and I'm joined by a somewhat less bright than last week Andy Nolan. <laughs> Andy, how are you doing? Good, good. <laughs> tired. Long weekend. We're good. Um, yeah. Unbeatability to me. Is that a thing? Well, Weird. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, good. I mean, I was over in... Uh, I had a good one over in the home of uh, English rugby, over you, in Twickers. You were covering uh, a couple of games for us over in England? Yes, uh, both the... And like, let me put it this way, I have been to some wet and miserably cold days in the west of Ireland. But I'll tell you this, Twickenham and the wreck, not the wreck, the stoop, on uh, Saturday, my God, they were bitterly cold oh, and really? wet. Yeah. Now, thankfully, a few pints deep and you're, you're sorted, but Jesus, I was so cold at one stage. Yeah, went over for Bath and North... Uh, Sorry, not Jesus. I'm getting it all wrong. Northampton and Tigers, and then Saris and Quins. Okay, both yeah. really good games actually. Really yeah, good. yeah, really exciting. Really. Uh, so you didn't see the New Zealand match. Didn't see the. You New didn't Zealand. see the Leinster no, no, game I live. Did, I didn't see them live. <laughs> although I did catch yeah. the last five minutes in the. I think it's called the King's Bar in the Stoop. I caught the last five minutes. Pretty much the most exciting five minutes of the day apparently. Um, but I did. I was. I was thankfully able to. Um, I missed all the matches except for the two I was at, but thankfully I was able to catch up on, on all those. When you got yourself home, warm home and dry. And was off work today, so it's good. Excellent. Yeah, so I suppose we have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, As always, we always have a lot We to always talk. have a lot to talk about, <laughs> but it seems it seems like there is a lot to oh, there, yeah, even yeah. more to talk about this week, so yeah. we'll get stuck straight in. Let's start with the Rugby Championship finishing in such incredibly dramatic fashion. I mean, like, first of all, just it was for, for rugby, the, the, the rugby that was on display this weekend certainly in the Interpros and Irish rugby and, and international rugby, was yeah. a fantastic showcase for the sport. Just brilliant rugby, being played in the right spirit. Where do you want to start? Will we maybe start with uh, Australia and Argentina? Yeah, yeah. We'll okay, start yeah. with the top. We'll go, as we try to do, with the, we'll just go with the same timeline as the weekend. Yeah. Uh, Argentina, Australia, you know, perhaps out of all of them, not exactly the most exciting. But, well, I mean, it was exciting. Maybe not the most technically greatest game to, to watch, but it was good nonetheless. Um Disappointed. Away a big fucking lead. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like I was disappointed. I think Argent, like it was there for Argentina to not only hold on to but to kick on a little bit. And I just felt once again, sloppy handling errors and you know the ill their ill, Ill discipline comes back to haunt them. And I think I, I know Czech, you know came out and he obviously was like proud of the boys and stuff like that, which he should be. But this does this covers up nothing for Australia. Australia is still in a bad place, and there's a lot still a lot of questions over that. I mean it took them. Like it took them a, a whole first half. 50 to, minutes to really get for, going. To, yeah. Now, having said that, I thought Argentina were brilliant in the first half. I thought, like, Matera, this flanker for Argentina, mm. my God, he's absolutely incredible. Like, his, his not just his physicality, but his, his athletic ability. He was almost single-handedly beating up Australia sure. in the yeah, first yeah, half. Yeah, yeah. Like, his pace, it's not often you'll see a flanker who isn't like Shannon Frizzell <laughs> <laughs> run, make a break from the, almost a half-metre line and uh, go the distance to score a try but he was just his gas was just incredible and lovely old school out half passing from Sanchez flat to the game line putting him into space um, I thought Argentina were they were just all over Australia in the first half like they were beating them up up front the set piece was much better than it had been the week beforehand mm -hmm. their counter attacking was brilliant the, the intercept and the counter attacking play the little interplay out on the right wing to put Buffelli away for a second try I just mm -hmm. thought Jesus Australia are in serious trouble here they, yeah, like they were facing down the barrel of a humiliation they really were and like again all credit to the guys and, and some of them certainly uh, Will Genny and, and uh, Hooper and Faleo 
the guys, you know, really Hooper really stood up in the second really half. Really stood up, really stood up, and I look, and we, and it was just a f- further stamp of approval of the fact that the Curly Bale experiment is done and dusted at oh ten. Let's, let's be finished with it. <laughs> yeah. But I think as well for Argentina, um, it was a big showing for from Augustine Crevy. I think uh, we we saw great leadership from him. Mm-hmm. But that I think then started to fade in, in after the fifty minutes, after the fifty five. They're playing them for two. They need to find a decent replacement. They for him. He's a sixty minute player. They do, but he they doesn't it's, have it's, eighty minutes. In it's the tank. not even just a replacement for him in terms of his ball playing ability. Which which is is you know it is world class obviously but it's his leadership that I did, like there's obviously a lot of passion in the Argentinian side I just wonder who their next leader who their next captain who the next person to drive them is with not just a performance but being able to talk to them yeah I don't think there's many there apart from Creevy that are doing that at the moment yeah so I think so like to get them you know focused on back in get them back into games keep their minds on it I'm just I'm not sure where that's coming from. Well, I think, like they used to say, I remember Brent Pope used to always say about Irish teams that, you know, we'd be playing in France or we'd be playing in Italy or we'd be playing in Scotland or whatever. Well, maybe not France but at those days, but certainly Scotland or Italy or maybe Wales or even England in the in the late noughties because they were kind of all over the place. But that we would scream into an early lead in the first half and then somehow we'd find a way to lose the match in yeah. the second half. And Which I remember is... Brent Pope used to always say, never give a sucker an easy break. Yeah. And it had, it felt like that that Argentina, they co- it was like they couldn't believe how far ahead of Australia they were yeah. going into halftime. They were just, they were eating them up. I mean, they were just, they were destroying them up front. Like the third try where your man, Gonzalez Inglésias, first of all, what a name. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he went over for the fourth. But the third Argentinian try was once again made by Materia, absolutely skittling lads. Mm-hmm. You no, know, carrying about 10 metres, getting over the gain line. And Australia have struggled in that corridor of power. Yeah. You know, they've struggled to to get their forwards over the gain line and get their uh, exciting backs coming onto the ball at pace. So, I don't know, it, it felt to me that at half-time, it was like Cheka was forced to abandon everything he's been trying to do. And he said, you know what, lads, just go out and play rugby. Because Australia didn't come out with a... They came out with a... It wasn't a more advanced game plan they came out of the dressing room in the second half. They mm. actually just played really basic rugby and yeah, it was really effective and they stopped I mean they, they perhaps stopped trying to uh, attack things which were never on which we saw against South Africa as well these ridiculous, ridiculous passes yeah. and again um, that, you know you're talking about it when Beal's playing a 10 there but that wasn't against Argentina but I think it was again going back as you're saying go, they were playing basics again and that's that's what all like one of the great components or speakers of doing the basics and doing the basics well is Sean Fitzpatrick yeah. the ex-All Black like every week week in week out he just talks about teams that do the basics well and sometimes he's like shut up Sean I can't yeah. get it but he's right <laughs> yeah. do the basics well the rest will follow and that's what Australia once they start getting back into it that's what they started doing well and they read a lot from Argentina as well I mean the body language and their heads dipping a little bit they were able to read that and, and kind of come back to it but again and I said like the, the Argentinians had a little bit of a, a disciplinary problem and it's ill discipline and it's like niggly stuff and I'm not saying that in terms of their penalties because they only had 5 to Australia's 15 5 to 15 5 to 15 and they lost and they lost yeah. Jesus but I'm talking about these little things they, they get heated over and they get an off the ball stuff they lose the head of they it they lose the head of it yeah. and then and, I, and and it just costs them like again you, you and as well something you see uh, a lot with Argentinian players is them arguing with each other a lot yeah, 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 and they're yeah, like yeah. you know and sometimes that can work but sometimes I think it just gets a bit too much. Well, we've talked about that kind of fiery Southern Latin temperament and how that can be channeled into a very kind of creative channels. Yeah. To me, it looked yeah. like in many ways it looked like Argentina just ran out of gas, and which was weird for an international team that yeah like 60, I, 70 minutes they just they really started to struggle and it was basic rugby. I mean, it's a charge down for Australia's second try. Hooper did brilliantly I thought he kind of caught the ball and like lightning fast got it away to Rada mm. to get him over excuse me for a try but it was just basic it was basic rugby and like the one thing like if you have players like Hale Pei and Israel Folau and stuff just let them play in their positions mm. like the third Australia try came from they did it we went about, through about 10 phases and Folau comes in off his wing gets put through a hole by one of Australia's props and he's away and Hale Petty's try comes from them 10 phases no miracle pass is tried mm-hmm. and they've moved Argentina into a poor shape defensively put it out to the wing Hale Petty's off mm-hmm. so I just think like Australia this doesn't undo the significant issues that there's been mm. for no. them but you have to wonder like why not just bring it back oh, look, to basics if they like, and I, 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 like if they if they can say learn from that and maybe play like that going forward and obviously, but they'll obviously have to develop that but then it does open up a very interesting November series yeah. for them uh, I mean this like you're looking at it and I'm not sure how much we know about Wales right now but could this be Wales' first time to get a home victory over Australia 
in I think ever. It's there. It, I mean, if it's not ever, it's, it's like a long, it's, it's, long, long time. About as long as it took us to beat the All Blacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, but I, that's like I'm viewing Wales right now as, as probably eyeing. They should be eyeing Australia as we can. We have a scalp, a scalp ready yeah. to take. They have to win that. They match. They have to win that match. And I just don't think that Australia, like again, one one match does not a good team make, and this Australian side is not a good team. But uh, they're start, they are starting to work on their on certain combinations, certain things like getting Beal out of ten. Yeah, uh, I'm. Really, really liking Falau uh, on the wing with Hayley Petty uh, in a fullback. Full Reese Hodge, he's stood up throughout the tournament. Him and Tamu are a great centre partnership, they're centre but they just keep, like, this is the thing, just keep picking them together. Mm. Like, like O'Driscoll and Darcy, everybody used to talk about their sort of telepathic read of each other that defensively and offensively, they never really had to, they, they got to such a level of understanding with each other that they didn't have to talk to each other in terms of if they were going forward or they were going backwards in defence they could read each other even out of the corner of their eye and that's because they're the second most capped international centre pairing yeah. in history well, follow, uh, only topped by Conrad Smith and Matt Anonu who guess what also were incredible at reading each other and playing off each other because they went in week in week out played with each just other just keep playing them and I, get I, minutes I into Carby at 10 like we'll talk about Carby at 10 but like just, so just I don't understand just keep fucking picking <laughs> Hodge and Tamu in the centres and pick a real 10 at, at 10 and play basic rugby yeah, and you're not yeah. in terrible I mean, it, but it is, it's, 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 it is an interesting one but that, I suppose there is a difficulty then because like Beal is a great player at 12 he's not a 10 we've discussed, we know that so it is a difficult one between him and Tamu and I think with Tamu and this whole issue with overseas players um, and him, you know he's with the Tigers it, like I think Curly Beal should probably be his, the first choice because Beal I just I don't know whether it's fair enough to say that you know traveling and all that, but I do think he's just better positioned for it. Uh, which because Samu is a great player as well. Bring him off, bring him. I mean, he's not a bad player to bring off the bench. But then again, bringing Matt Samu or Curly Beal off the bench. I'd start with Samu. Like you, you get you get less you get less potential for fireworks and you attack, do, but yeah. you also get less potential for brain farts. Yeah. in terms of dropping all the balls off the line, because Beal is pr- prone to a few mistakes. Yeah. he's a bit Beale like Billy the Beal will look for will look for those wide out passes he'll look for lines that sometimes aren't on while Tamua will always look for those things but he's a bit smarter in his he's like, he'll, he'll be a bit, a bit more conservative yeah. and when you've got a guy like Reese Hodge outside you you can be, you need conservative because Reese Hodge is liable to just fucking put the gas on and off he goes and he was ain't nobody, ain't nobody he was, he was popping both wings in midfield I thought Reese Hodge Reece Hodge was probably Australia's player of the championship I thought he was absolutely uh, yeah well Reese Hodge was one I think Will Genia a little bit uh, kind of an unsung hero for them because again in certain matches was the, was the only one that seemed to have a bit of a fire in his belly at all times quick mention as well for I mean certainly against Argentina Pocock once again yeah. over and over balls like he keeps them in games like, he, like if they if, if he had been injured for this championship they would have been on a hiding to nothing like, you think about it because I mean only a couple of weeks ago there were questions about whether he was going to be fit enough with uh, his neck injuries and stuff like that coming back from that so I mean in it again is there still I think they are still trying to find that that eight though that balances out him and Hooper because you have to you have to have the two of them on the field. Yeah. I just don't know that they've found an eight yet. Like Hannigan at six and these guys. Uh, uh, Hannigan, yeah, Hannigan is six. the second row. He's not a back row. Exactly. Like why you put him out uh, into into the second row or to the back row is is is, is a question that really obviously obviously checking he will will have to answer because he is going before the board today tomorrow. Oh, is Some he? Say, yeah, they said that they they're bringing him before the board again to or the union, you know, to. Yeah, have a chat. I mean, like again, I don't think he's going anywhere. But I think a tall glass of calm down. Yeah. Like, just, just start playing, run, just playing <laughs> yeah. normal rugby. Just show us the like the last bit of that match and just go. Just do that all this, the time. Yeah, yeah. just prove we're fine. Uh, but no credit. Like again, this 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 is very much like what we spoke about Munster and Ulster sort of last week, and it, it wasn't the same hiding or whatever. But this this doesn't losing this for Argentina again. Not the end of the world. A few little things can work on, but I'm, I'm, just, you know, seeing nothing but positive signs from them. Really. Oh no, Argentina had a great tournament, and um, like I would be, it'll be interesting to see how we get on against them. Do you know, that'll be actually for them. That'll be a good litmus test for Argentina to see well, how they play. We don't meet them in the World Cup. I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Okay, so Australia managed to salvage a small amount of pride. Yeah, um, and uh, it's from a, a what, shitty campaign in Argentina. Does, yeah, what it does do is it sets up the November internationals for, for Australia with a lot of interest from from like uh, around the world, kind of going, okay, these lads are it, there for the taking. They're there for the taking, or you know. Can they build on this? Yeah. So it's it's like for them it's it's setting up something really intriguing. And as as I mean, this is probably the most successful campaign Argentina had in the championship. Oh well, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, th- so uh, th- today, so I think like so again, also like despite the fact that they finished last, finishing they they are finishing on a good positive note. So let's move on to the to the big one, the New Zealand South Africa. Speaking of World Cups, and we have to face one of them. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think. No, I, I love, know. Like, I wouldn't be worried about South Africa. 
I'd be worried. I would They're be very worried. good. Don't like, get me wrong. No, but. like I mean, look, it's World Cup, and I'd be. I'm, I'm, in fairness, it's an international game. I'm always going to be worried no matter who we're playing. But um, uh, yeah, once again, in South Africa, two the two powerhouses of the of the world of world rugby. That was a classic. That was a classic. You're right. That, that was, was a classic. classic. Yeah. And here's the thing: maybe this is the maybe the the, the, the games in New Zealand are not generally classics. Maybe it's just just send them all to South Africa because they are always classics. Really, really enthralling. Edge of your seat, and another classic case of you. Were, were, we saw that classic. Oh, you know, the some teams will play to eighty minutes. The All Blacks play to hundred minutes. And you have to play to. You have to keep attacking them for a hundred minutes. Yeah. If you want to beat them, like South Africa showed that when they beat them, they kept going after them. We showed that when we beat them in twenty sixteen. You know, Henshaw going over for that try with a few minutes. But like, like I hate to uh, admit it, but like I just had so much admiration for how New Zealand came back. To win that oh, game, it was, it the was. inevitability of it, and it will do them like the worst thing that could have happened for every other rugby nation in the world coming into a World Cup a year out from World Cup is New Zealand pull another rabbit out of the hat. Yeah, you know because a lot of these players, a lot of those players, if you look at the Shannon Frizzells, the Bowden Barretts, the Waisaki Naholos, the Rico Ioannis, they haven't ever done that before in an All Black jersey. They've either won matches by streaking away with them mm. or they've lost them very narrowly but they haven't had that moment a similar moment that the All Blacks had against Ireland in 2013 yeah. when that All Black squad really reinforced their kind of invincibility um, and, and just how how outrageously difficult they were to beat and this this squad needed that I think for their psyche for their confidence in themselves because I have thought they've been a bit mentally brittle and that will certainly battle harden them you know, if they're struggling in a World Cup or whatever, you know, people were saying Bowden Barrett bottled the drop kick against them in the first South Africa test. Like, New Zealand came back and won that game and there was no way. Six minutes, 12 points down, six minutes to go and then yeah. yours winning. Yeah. 14 yeah. points? But Absolutely no, no outstanding. Other, no other team. No other team do you see that happening. Like, and I'm not saying that it's not possible. What I mean is, you don't, you're not like six minutes away from the final whistle. Five minutes even. You know, say if you're watching it, uh, if, it's, if it's Australia, if, even if it's elsewhere, you're like, 12 points down, no other team you kind of believe can do it. You're just like, they, they're going to do it. You're just watching the ball back. I think the thing with the All Blacks is, if you want to be safe in the last 10, five minutes, the last five mm. minutes, you're you're not safe against the All Blacks in the last five minutes unless you're more than two converted tries ahead of them mm. because they'll catch it. Well, they they will. And, and I felt like, I felt South Africa, we'll probably go through the match in detail, but like I felt South Africa, their confidence, the last 10 minutes definitely when I was watching it, I was like, they're kicking this ball way too much and they're playing one-out rugby way too much. They, well, they needed to keep, if they had it kept going for it, I think they could have done it. Well, the interesting thing, that I would I would agree with you uh, there and I think two very interesting points on that uh, and I think where South Africa lost, like, and I don't want to say lost, but maybe just lost the edge that they had was the replacement of uh, Faf de Klerk and Malcolm Marks. Yeah, once they went. Once they went, they, there was just a little bit of drop in their intensity. And I think we certainly, like, I mean, uh, the Clerk had been, like, once again, probably the standout fly half of the, of the tournament. He'd been leading them. He was outstanding. All over the place. And he, he, he completely, in both tests, got the better of Aaron Smith. Oh, absolutely. Like he, Aaron Smith was, it's rare you see Aaron Smith, he was hassled. Yeah. Like, you know, he normally was. the ball's on a plate and he's doing his real fucking arrogant smile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm Aaron Smith, but like, <laughs> but like, you know, that's, sure. that's what he's like. And, uh, and um, uh, he was really struggling to cope. Like in the first half, New Zealand had a scrum. I thought South Africa's scrum was brilliant. It we was. were talking last week about how good New Zealand scrum was. South Africa's scrum between Meherlbe or however you say his name Meherlbe. and uh, Kitsoff. They, they had a they had great yeah, game. Yeah, and Kitsoff. I've always been a big fan of Kitsoff actually, especially from the Super Rugby. But I think as well, the um, just going back. Yeah, I mean, we, we could sign him. He's been like, <laughs> he focuses about his Irish as a lot of us. Yeah. But one of them again, just going back to Marks, I think, uh, and some ridiculous rate of turnovers uh, throughout the day kept them on the four on the front foot for a vast majority of it and I just I really did see a, a, like just a level or a physicality that just dipped a little bit and allowed I think the I think I think the All Blacks to just kind of take advantage of mm-hmm. and it was it, it was a pity to see that happen but you know again what we're seeing once again like Argentina there's nothing wrong here for South well, Africa the, the, the it, amalgamated scoreline between the two games is 62-62 yeah. zero points between them that's incredible that is to yeah. hold New Zealand to that and like South Africa's their first half was just it's the best I've seen them play since the 2009 World Cup winning side Lions winning side like Pollard was so assured uh, at 10 I thought their midfield 
were just incredibly destructive both Dialandi and Creel were because their four pack were beating New Zealand up so badly and like mm. they were they were kicking the living shit out of them and it was real South African rugby at its best like just pulverising teams to make space for your back line but both Dialandi and Creel I mean whatever about the two tries that they scored or the tries they scored each which were both sensational they just dominated New Zealand's midfield like you didn't hear about New Zealand's midfield until about the 60th or the 70th minute and like Creel the pace of Jesse Creel to get over first like there's not many players can beat Naholo, Ioanni and Smith for pace on an outside break to go in for a try and just I thought it was just I couldn't believe like when Creel burst on the scene a couple of years back we were like geez this guy is a, a real prospect he's had a quiet couple of years but man he was he announced himself I thought at the weekend and another player like obviously I mentioned Dialandi but like just Dialandi benefited from Sia Khaleesi's outrageous physicality and skill like oh. how good a player is Sia Khaleesi he's oh, just he's brilliant uh, I mean again kind of coming off coming off a great well a great like a personal great season with the Stormers not so much a team uh, great season for them but he's been a revelation for them really and his captaincy um, I think he's really really uh, building into that role um, he's certainly getting a lot of help uh, you can see and got it on Saturday from uh, Francois Lowe you know, mm-hmm. uh, stalwart of the of the, of the of the South Africans for so many years and one player as well who I think had a cracking game after being quiet for the uh, tournament so far was Eben Etzebeth, with I think he had the most nice. he had the best <laughs> I'm drinking eight degrees full Irish single malt IPA. It tastes like pineapples. <laughs> uh, nice. But Evan Esbeth, he had a great game. Not drinking or eating pineapples, but there you go. Uh, he won the like he won the most balls at set piece time with twenty eight. Whoa. At set piece time. Like it was just he was incredible. And I mean, we always talk about his size and stuff, but he put his, his pace to great use as well and his reading uh, of of uh, lines and his just his hands once again. But like his really speech. needed and I think he needed to stand up sooner rather than later and I think he really took it on Saturday yeah I mean I think one of the things that really changed the game for New Zealand for the better and it's a terrible I mean I'm not celebrating the fact that this happened but Sam Kane got taken off about 35 minutes with a broken neck Sam yeah. Kane walked off the pitch yeah. with a broken neck which just says something about A New Zealand and B Sam Kane yeah I mean but, uh, and obviously we wish him all the best because yeah. Jesus Christ it's not an injury you want but apparently it sounds like he's okay they're saying they've done reconstructive surgery hasn't got nerve mm. damage blah 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 no, bi- no big deal <laughs> but um, yeah we wish Sam Kane a speedy recovery but uh, when Patrick Tua Piloto came onto the pitch it pushed Scott Barrett to the back row and I felt Barrett that little bit further out in midfield that really helped New Zealand get a foothold into the you know that corridor of power Mm. that kind of midfield uh, hard carrying where South Africa had just been beating them to pulp really you know yes yeah no they had it was like Scott Barrett is, is an interesting one because I'm not sure where his best position is I think he probably is a better. He is probably a second rower. I mm-hmm. think um, a better second rower than a, than a back row. But he's again so versatile, and this is the thing that the All Blacks were able to do with, um, you know, the, the amount of the talent they have. Just shuffle a few people around and and trying to cement it in. Because I think his partnership at the beginning with Sam Wylock, who once again like just Phenomenal. unbelievable, and again one of these players and. We, you know, we have mentioned it before about how we always talk about getting cameras on like every single player. Just it created a match we able to watch it because again, all the stuff he does off the ball, all the stuff that you're not the nitty gritty stuff is just absolutely sublime. And to take the phrase again, just the basics done to an insanely next high level. level yeah. It's ridiculous. I do think the one thing that we have to note though is that when we beat them, when South Africa beat them, and when South Africa fucking nearly beat them this time, no Brody Retallick. All three games, no Brody Retallick. The difference he makes. Like, if they come to Dublin with Brody Retallick in the team, that completely changes the odds of us beating them or not. I think he is the best rugby player in the world. Mm. And, like, the way that they play... We'll talk actually a little bit about... Maybe we'll talk about it a bit when we get on to Leinster Munster, because I think with Carberry and Tyke Byrne in Munster, Munster are adopting a new attacking format or attacking strategy that apes a little bit the one that the All Blacks have been using for the last few years. Mm. But no, but you have to factor in that the All Blacks didn't have their best player, who was Brody Retallick. Yeah, and like the, it'll be interesting and had been, to see. And had been so immense in the three games that he played before. Oh, he's, he's on, injured, he was like he's probably the player of the tournament, even though he was yeah. two and a half <laughs> games <laughs> or whatever, you know. And, it's, and that just says so much about the player himself. But as you say, and it also says so much about a team like the All Blacks, who it, without him, and they're still able to to. Oh, and actually, sorry, quick quick mention as well because I know a lot of people, you know, started questioning. 
And yeah, it's one of those things, you know, one bad day at the office, and certainly the All Blacks are much worse, like, get, get it much harder than any other team, but it's like heads for the chop straight away. And there was a lot of questions raised about Kieran Reid, about his captaincy after the South Africa, the first South African game. And again, comes into this match, stands up, shows exactly what kind of player and, and leader he is. And I think people now can go back and If go, people want oh. to undermine Kieran Reid after a win, they should be like, actually, he's, he's pretty good though, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, no, look at, like, like, all it does is get his back. I know, but he's like, bless him, like, he's a, he's a, he's a good-ish captain, I suppose. <laughs> you know? Whereas, like, that would really undermine him. I think being like, oh, this guy's garbage compared to <laughs> fucking Richie McCaw and all the lads, like, all it does is, is gee him up and fire him up. But, yeah. no, New Zealand, absolutely incredible. Did he get a bit lucky, I felt, with Aaron Smith's try that that was a definite forward pass from Cody Taylor I didn't understand how they didn't go back and have a look at that but I suppose you're always going to get a bit of luck and when you're the All Blacks it seems like you're always going to get a bit of luck but you make your luck as well like you mm. know that golfer says the more oh, yeah, just the let's, more let's, get, let's get the tinfoil hat lads in there no, no, but you know, <laughs> what was that golfer or, or just like there's confusion over who the, this quote comes from but there's a golfer who said that I find the more I practice the luckier I get Do you know and I think there is a certain element of that but what a brilliant game and oh, I, what a showcase for rugby internationally I'm delighted that South Africa are back competitive competing with New Zealand because yeah. rugby needs it they rugby do. really absolutely. needs it absolutely they do need it and it sets up some tasty again the November series looking tasty oh, although they will be without Faf de Klerk and Willie LaRue and most likely Francois Lowe because they'll be back the playing the Premiership yeah right. well, they, I mean despite the fact that they're playing England on a day that there's no Premiership rugby but that falls outside the uh, world rugby window and it's a whole mess they need to fi- we'll, we'll do an episode when they when they when they start telling us how they're going to figure that out. We'll do an episode. On that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move on to Irish Interpro Derby action before we look forward to the very exciting opening weekend of fixtures for what should be a seminal, uh, amazing uh, yeah, European yeah, Cup, yeah. considering how well a lot of the big teams are playing. But let's start with Connacht Ulster. Yeah, fifty-eight years since Connacht won an Ulster. Yep. Loads of stuff that's happened. Hadn't happened <laughs> the last the last time the Connacht won there. Your man on Sky Sports got like the Flintstones hadn't been released. And all that stuff, and I was like, yeah, those things that that have happened in the last fifty eight years hadn't happened <laughs> the last time the Connacht won in uh, in the Kingspan. But but fair play. I mean, I thought Connacht had a great game. Oh, fantastic! And everything that we've been talking about, Connacht's front row. Connacht's midfield and Connacht's uh, 10 won them that match yes yeah. it's interesting because uh, Carthy obviously um, is one of these players you know definitely uh, leading the charge for the uh, the boys out wished um, but all of a sudden we have four out half so we yeah. have Sexton and then three understudies and they're all understudies they're nowhere near them but three potentially viably incredibly Absolutely, talented yeah. outhouse that have a way to go in their in their development well, and career yeah. it's exciting but it's, 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 it is exciting and I think it's just it's just, it's really it's really a great time because I think one thing that Connacht had missed for so long was like a consistent 10 I mean they had McGinty and they, they had like Dan Parks and things and there was never a certain Dan Parks bag of shite though really only. I was great fun <laughs> great man great man for the points great yeah. man for the points <laughs> and, the and he wasn't puts. he wasn't that bad but no. like it is good to see Connacht there with a night with a with a pivot that is with, that is able to drive them, get them get them momentum, and get them over the game line, and and just keep them in the in games. And but he was brilliant. Like he kept on two occasions in the first half. He again crossfield kick, Ronan O'Gara esque, or as Liam Tolden's hilariously said about Joey Carberry, Ronan O'Gara esque alike alike if you like. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Liam. <laughs> but it was Ronan O'Gara esque alike alike if you like. Um, just incredible out of hand kicks you know bouncing a metre or two or a foot or two from the, the line and going over pushing Ulster back onto their five metre line and and again Ulster struggled up front and and, and it, this will be the undoing of them teams know if you go after Ulster up front in the tight if you take them on in the scrum if you attack their line out they struggle to fire because mm. they definitely have incredible backs but the backs can't maximise their potential if they're getting badly beaten up up front and I thought like I was, it was the first time that I really realised just how big a pack Connacht have. Yeah, like the Queen Roos. Sean O'Brien was phenomenal. Again, he is the the as you say, you call him the other Sean O'Brien. Like he'll never play for Ireland, but he was brilliant. No, he's brilliant. Uh, I do think though, although I don't think it was the the fully rounded performance that I think Connacht could have given because I think for for them to have just shown a little bit more after uh, the after um, raise uh, the red card. Yeah. I th- I really I thought I thought that was their time to push on and make it a bit a bit easier and a bit sort of more comfortable for themselves in terms of the scoreline. 
Um, but it, like again, it, it also shows it also shows what else you know. Also it's hard to win in Ulster. It's hard to win, and it also when teams go down, when the team get a red card, it it, it times Matty can Ray. Was Matty Ray, Matty Ray, yeah, yeah. For and what was he doing? Yeah. Like just like running along on the ground with his eyes in the ball. It's like how does how has no coach told him the one thing you cannot do in that situation is not you have to jump in the air. Yeah. Like if he had a jump, there would have been no, would have been no issue. Yeah, um, but it was very dangerous. Like uh, Healy could have landed very badly, but. Often when a team gets a red card, I think they g- almost give up on attacking and they just try to lock down in defence. Yeah. And I felt also did that and it made it more difficult for... for Hall- yeah, no, yeah. it did. I just uh, And they were shut out, certainly, because, I mean, we certainly saw Tiernan, O'Hall- uh, Tiernan O'Halloran, yeah. once again, was in flying form. Really, really uh, up in his game, I think, back to... Between him 20- and Healy. Do you know who I wasn't impressed by is Addy Loken. I don't think Addy Loken has been playing particularly well, and and they miss Kelleher out on that wing and Healy out on that wing when he's not there. And I don't, yeah, maybe I, 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 I don't know. I felt maybe more that he just wasn't getting enough ball. Well, I, I was actually I was watching the Connacht game. I was over with my folks on Saturday for the Leinster Munster match, and we were talking about that. And I was saying that you always give out about wingers who wait for the ball to come to them, yeah, rather than getting into the play and whatever. And oh, Chris Ashton. Yeah, but actually, recent of recent years, the reason that Chris Ashton has been scoring so many tries is that he he's coming in yeah. off as well. Oh, I look, I, and I, he's looking for yeah. that gap to, to go off. Like, Chris Ashton would love playing with a player like Carty or Bundy Aki, who are capable of getting their hands free before or in contact to yeah, an on-running player. Absolutely. Healy does it, and Kelleher does it, and O'Halloran do it. Adi Loken, at the moment, maybe his confidence is a bit not great or whatever but mm. I think that's a bit of a work on there but geez, how good was Connacht's front row between Bellum and, and Buckley they absolutely mm. ate I, the Munster pack I've been a big fan recently of Bedlam actually he's been quite Bedlam in, mm-hmm. for, in the scrums for, um, for, for, for opposition um, I think he's coming on leaps and bounds in, in the scrum, in scrum certainly in scrummaging his over the ball work uh, and his work rate in general has always been he's actually got a pretty good, a good a good rate over the ball in terms of turning stuff over um, between him and Buckley they both do mm. but like great signs from Connacht oh yeah you know? very and they good. Should, yeah. if they just put their head down now and keep doing it because yeah. if they keep doing that they'll get themselves into top flight European competition next year and yeah. that's where they want to be and you see they've released plans for uh, a, new a, new, a new stadium yeah. Yeah, 35 million they're going to invest which is great a long it's like they're say 35 million capacity I'm like uh-huh. that's, no, no, no. that's a bit big Supermax are investing <laughs> 35,000 <000 laughs> into making a new stadium but no great things for Connacht delighted for them to get the win Ulster also, I think I may I may have maybe been a bit premature. In my well, I don't know about that because if you look at it, they did have a, they, they 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 were down to fourteen men, and they got a try with a few minutes to go, and the ball was kicked off. Like Ulster could have gotten a draw out of that game. They could have. They would have stolen but, the draw, but it did make me go go back and sort of reevaluate and rewatch some of the the or the previous the previous games where they they were coming away with snatching victory. And I, I am a little bit, you know, and look again, winning builds confidence and a, and a yeah. bree- uh, you know, victory breeds victory, etc. So I'm just kind of now, now I'm definitely sort of thinking and and holding well, back. Europe will tell us where they are. Europe, yes, Europe will tell yeah, us where Europe, they are. But, but let's move on to uh, the big interpro. I suppose, like, even though we're Leinster fans, I don't think it's massively arrogant to say that the Leinster Munster fixture kind of looms large, and we've been questioning. If the fire is still there, we've been questioning if it's been a bit diluted or whatever. Certainly, I you have. You have, yeah, yeah. I kind of, uh, I think. Maybe are. exploring is better than questioning. And, uh, you but are the question. <laughs> 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 but, um, but Jesus, they delivered. What a man. That's no. the best Leinster Munster game I can remember for years. Yeah. It was absolutely had everything. Like the first half, you can always tell a match is brilliant when it's like, it's like, oh my, how's it half time already? You know, yes, it's yeah, like, yeah. So there's always a, there's always that annoyance when it's like it's half time. No, it means that there's a, there's only one half left, and it was no, it was actually. And I, actually, yeah, just I before really... I forget, we have a question about the Leinster Monster game okay. that we have to read out this week because okay. we always forget to read the, read the questions. questions. Okay. So we'll just, well, I, I'll, we'll I'll remind you. I'll okay, yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah, we'll do it afterwards though. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, I said because it was a great match. I again, I only got to watch uh, the full the full thing uh, today, lying on my couch. Nice. And while some of us were at work, uh, well, yeah, slaving, yeah, well, you know, I booked on, I was smart, I booked it off, yeah. and I must say, no, I really enjoyed, like it was a really, really entertaining match. I thought we saw some some players, and one player in particular who has kind of gone a bit, but it hasn't been talked about because obviously of everything that happened with Carberry going down to Munster and got man the match is Ross Byrne. Oh, he was Had phenomenal. a fantastic game. He has to be the number two out half in the country at the moment. I think Schmidt will still keep picking. Schmidt will still keep picking yeah. Carberry. Well, I, Ross Byrne. I've said this, and I've always been a big fan. I've, I've been a bigger fan of of Byrne than I am of Carberry. And for for and that's not saying Carberry's a bad player or anything. It's just I don't know, I've outlined the reasons before that I do think Ross Byrne is far more steady ship to go with certainly right now. I think the thing with Byrne is that he's so similar a player to Sexton Mm. but they're not the same player obviously but like 
he's that kind of Ross Byrne is not a flair player no no like Carberry is no no and, and when you have I suppose we'll talk about Munster's structure because the way Munster are attacking they're they're often they're, they're nearly using two hinges they're using both Tyg Byrne and Joey Carberry they're starting to use them as distributors um, Who, by the way, like, again, and just like Carberry had a brilliant game, and Todd Byrne had a brilliant game. Oh, I mean, it's probably Munster's best game of the season. Yeah, like even though they lost, but the the Ross Byrne is just he's so like Leinster don't necessarily need to play around ten. They have so many game no, breakers they, no, in their squad yeah. that they can play the game. It can kind of unfold like they, anyone, Tyg Furlong or Andrew Porter or. James Tracy or a J- a James Ryan or a Devon Toner any of these guys can take the ball at first receiver and either move it flat across the line or cut it back to backs or carry it into contact and when you have that level of skill you're less reliant on your 10 and I think the way Byrne plays he's a kicking passing out half he's not a running out half mm. he's a kicking passing out half that suits you have to rejig it less whereas when Joey Carberry's your 10 you kind of have to build your game around Joey Carberry. It's like if Bowden Barrett's your 10 or Dan Carter's your 10. I'm not saying he's at that level yet, but when you have players that have that much flair and express so much natural ability, you have to create a system that allows them to kind of do that. Of course. So I thought, uh, yeah, I mean, it was um, it was a great match from Byrne and maybe, you know, Leinster weren't that devastated to be losing Joey Carberry. I'd say they no. were annoyed, but like yeah, I'd say I think, I think they'd have preferred to keep Byrne than the other way around, but it looks nice. Yeah, I mean, and of course... Like they, um, you can only, I suppose, play the the hand you're dealt, so to speak. And I'm sure they did everything they could to try and keep him. But from an Irish perspective, I'm as I said before, I wasn't sad about him going because I was a bigger Burn fan. But I'm also at the moment really, really excited by not only the fact that he's getting game time at ten, but he's been playing really, really well. And I think what's going to happen. Now you're right. I think you can see Munster setting out this game plan around him and about the way he plays it. But at the same time. I can see that he is learning a lot from those around him to be a bit more safe and a bit more steady. Yeah. Like he's still taking uh, some really nice lines and he's uh, some lovely passing uh, out of hand. But he is. The, he, I think he's the most natural passer off the ball of either of either hand in Ireland. Like his passing, like if you just look, it's like it's so fluid. You know, like it's almost it reminds me a little bit of Peter Stringer actually off the base, where it's like his hips and his elbows and his wrists, everything are engaged. When it I, comes to passing the ball, I give I I don't I, I see your point, but I probably go. I say Murray probably has a as a as a nice touch. Probably go pass. I think yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, like you're right, you're right. Like he does have a really really nice pass, and I just think like it is. I and I know we're not really talking about the match, but we'll finish here. But I just I'm he had a re- really good game, really enjoying what what Carberry is doing at the moment, and I'm just delighted that he's at like getting that game time at ten. And, no, absolutely brilliant, and 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 the way Munster played, like I thought. You know, I suppose the thing to say is it did show us the gulf between Munster and Leinster because Leinster, like I think there's well, maybe talk about the referee and penalty tries and this little tries and all this kind of stuff. But I think if Leinster had to score again, they would have, mm-hmm. and that's without Sexton and Ringrose and like a lot of their frontline well, players. No Tyke Furlong. You know, if Munster had a sent a team, Sean, if Munster had a sent because essentially that was a full strength Munster side, maybe minus Rory Scannell. But if Munster had a sent a team shorn of Joey Carberry, CJ Stander, Peter O'Mahony, and Ty Byrne, and Leinster would have absolutely destroyed them. Yeah. So, like, I suppose Munster, there's no shame in not being at the same level as the double uh, winning champions or whatever, but Munster are definitely getting better. And what I really was encouraged by is how Carberry, the way Carberry attacks the game line forces the rest of the back line to hold their depth. So they're all mm. running onto the ball at pace. And they do this lovely option where Matheson, or whoever the scrum half is, has both Tyg, Byrne and Carberry that he can pick out and Byrne can send it across the line or cut it back again yeah. a little and bit that, like and that, is a par- that is a partnership that I was lo- like in two games so far loving what we're seeing between the two of them so it just gives them time now because they have a pack that can well, match any Mat- pack but now Matheson's out Matheson's out he's injured they, oh, well, right. well okay he's don't worry don't get the haircut Williams <laughs> <laughs> he's gone to see a specialist I think this week or today again oh right um, yeah because remember he got carted off like the 35th minute or something like that and yeah so it looks like Matheson might be like it looks like he could be out for a couple of months so this, I mean, this oh, is a couple of months yeah this oh, could be shit. huge okay. huge well if he's well, gone there goose because we'll talk about Exeter in a second we'll move on to this but he had he was brilliant but let's, was, let's talk about the game itself I thought like how good was James Lowe <laughs> 
he was just he was unplayable yeah I'm just I'm just giving up with him like he's just like too good I'm like oh, come on like, but, like how do you how do you leave out Gibbs I actually think well, for, I think Scott Fardy's going to miss out on Europe at home I'd say what they'll do is Gibson Park and Lowe will start exactly yeah. will start the home games and for the away games where they need a bit more bulk it'll either be Lowe and McGrath with Gibson or whatever, you know, and with Fardy, yeah. like so, away Fardy will play to beef up the pack, and at home they'll try to play a faster top of the ground game because yeah. you can't leave low out now. You can't. No. And Gibson Park is the best scrum half in Leinster. Yes. So how do you play Fardy? Yeah, and I and I look, I do think it comes. Uh, it, it, it certainly, obviously, it comes about the teams that you're going up against, but really, it's a, it's a, it's always a, such an annoying headache to have because on the day. Low was just... He was unplayable. He was, he was unplayable. Like, his first try... I mean, whatever about the, the penalty try. His first try, like, he carried... So, you know, Lencer, good ball off the line-out, nice mauling, fantastic. And again, this is the unseen work. James Ryan, it's the ball is slowing down. He carries hard, he gets him over the gain line. Then Devon Toner pops up, carries hard, gets him over the gain line. And with that little bit of extra space, the ball's fired out to low. Mm. And he carried fucking Crone and Matheson and Stander yeah. over the line. It's Who, like his, Who also had a very good game? I thought Stander had his best game yeah, this season so far. I, he's been a bit quiet over the last uh, opening rounds. but um, I didn't think it was possible for any human being to have a lower centre of gravity than Brian O'Driscoll. <laughs> but James Lowe does. Yeah. It's like you can't knock him over. Well, and one thing that, again, I think we've seen, and we saw, I, I think we saw towards the end of last season, what we're certainly seeing now, and a lot of his doubters, you know, and or just people who were critical, ourselves included, because you have to analyze these things. His defense has come on, definitely, hugely. yeah. Hugely. But if you're working with if you're working with Leo Cullen, you're working with Stuart Lancaster, and you're it's working come, with whoever, come, yeah, like that, that's just going to happen. Your man Hugh, whatever they have, who's like the defensive skills coach, which is all about how you take contact, how you place the ball. Like Leinster are by a long way, they might win the European Cup or you know whatever. Who knows? Saracens are going really well. Exeter are going really well. Racing are going really well. And they'll be definitely be there or thereabouts. But from start to finish, from the top down, you have to say Leinster are the most complete organisation, I think, in terms of coaching, management, structure, like the amount of kids they have still flying through this academy. Like, you know, Jordan Larmer is established now. He's busy he 21. He wasn't even playing at the weekend. No Gary Ringrose. All these guys to come back in. And even without those guys, there's just leaders everywhere. Mm. Like every Leinster player leads in their own way, is what I feel. And I think that's what that's what set them apart. Just to, just to stay on James Lowe, like... As, as outrageously powerful as his first try was, he does this, like, acrobatic leap. Like, how did he score that try? He's getting pushed into touch, he's in the air, and he manages to, the first bit of his body to get down as his hand with the ball over the try line. Like, absolutely incredible stuff. Yeah. But I get, like, not just, I mean, obviously, Lenser, they had a lot, but I, I was really impressed, despite going off, and we'll get to that for the reasons, but uh, Keith Earls, I thought, again, stood up, Dan, uh, uh, Sam Arnold, not Dan Arnold, and Darren Sweetman, Conway, they all, the, the Munster's backs put in a huge amount of work and a huge amount of effort. Munster, like, ha, Munster have an unbelievable back line. No, like if, from, like if you, and I, I think... And once they have to opened up... Yes, and do you know what? Munster's attack faded out of the match, I thought, in the second half because they didn't get Andrew Conway into the game enough. Mm. Like Conway was anonymous for the first 20 minutes of the second half. And when you have... Like I think Conway is their best. I mean, Halley or whatever he's injured. We'll see how he gets on. I think they have to play, pick Conway a fullback because he, he he stands up and he produces big moments for them. Mm. And you have to find a way of getting those guys into the game more. They need Carberry bringing in his wingers and his fullback more than he is at the moment. A lot of the balls going to the centres. Yeah. So I think that if they could, if they can get that going, and if they can keep their pack producing from football, which people will struggle to beat they, them. Oh, they will absolutely. And I think. Lencer, I, I felt as well, in terms of uh, the scrum, I think Lencer got away with a lot. I think they were actually very like Andrew Porter. I think he got away with blue murder for that. Yeah, 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 four like, penalties before the penalty try or whatever. Yeah, like, and, but scrums. even like I just thought throughout the game, like, and he is a good player. Don't get me wrong. I just felt there were some issues in the scrum that I think Lencer were, if not. 100% getting the better uh, Munster getting the better of them they were certainly 70-80% I thought Munster scrummaged very well yeah and I suppose unlucky, I think, the, 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 the unlucky bit brings us on to our question this week so we've had a, we've had an email in from uh, Keen from Dublin and the email says hi guys do you think that Ben Shitehouse <laughs> had a poor match oh god okay <laughs> so I suppose ben like Shitehouse. there seems to have been uh, obviously what Keen's mentioned here is there's been a lot of commentary and talk about how Ben Whitehouse got on I suppose the big talking points are sending Keith Earls off in the penalty try for James Lowe in the first 10 minutes and then the Keith Earls try in the, in the second half being disallowed yeah right harsh calls unfair calls I've done a bit of research into the laws so we might talk about that but 
What's your okay. What's your first gut reaction? So the gut, gut reaction on watching it, letter of the law, uh, the yellow card and penalty try are the right call. However, and we I've been saying this for a very, very, very long time, very much like the rolling away law, uh, like they're wrong, but in this instance, it's not Ben Whitehead's fault. He That's the right call by letter of the law. So let me just read out the rules here. So the rule states that a penalty try is awarded between the goalposts if foul play by the opposing team prevents a probable try from being scored or scored in a more adventitious position. A player guilty of this must be cautioned and temporarily suspended or sent off. No conversion is attempted. So basically it's saying if you decide that there's been foul play in the act of somebody scoring a try that stops them scoring a try, you have to award a penalty try and you have to give them at least a, a yellow card. Yes. So once they made that decision, they, they were snookered. There was nothing else that they there was could nothing do. Else. No, and, and the truth is, we've seen it before as well, which is what I think should happen. In that instance, and we'll use this as the as the example for now, it was not cynical by Keith Earls in that it wasn't, it wasn't. Well, in terms <laughs> I of... I thought that, it wasn't, but I watched it again this evening and I was like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, but I don't think it was malicious, let's no. say. Or, you know, so in this instance... I think it's one or the other. Yeah. And it, and again, I'm not talking about letter of the law because that, I'm, I'd be wrong there. What I'm saying is this is what the law should allow for and enter and be... So you're be, talking more about now it's time to... It's about interpretation of interpretate, the law. Interpretate, yeah. Like, separate them. If Nigel Owens is on the pitch, is that a penalty try and a yellow card? I, it's, it's hard I, it's to a know. difficult one because again... But, I suppose that's the thing. Is that like, you know, it's like if Earls hadn't interfered with Lowe, he could say, okay, Lowe didn't look like he was... Going to catch the ball or whatever, yeah. but if Earls doesn't interfere with him, on the flip side, you could say there's every chance he catches that ball, and if he catches that ball at that stage, there's nothing Earls can do to prevent a try because he's going to be trying to tackle him from behind. He'll be over for the try. So I originally kind of felt, I don't know, originally I felt that it was harsh, but actually looking back and I think it was a good call. I think it, I don't I think, think it was a hometown well, call. I think no, it was well, a I think call. I mean, and I know I'd be I, sick if it was the other way around. Of course he would, but yeah. at the same time. And it's happened before, like we, we in other matches about calls that don't go the way. But at the same time, I think it, and you have to think that it's a brave call from Whitehouse because it he knows it's going to be like it's what ten minutes into the game, so it's going to be a huge call, but he's made it. So, and I suppose the thing about that is the knock-on effect is that obviously Lowe slams over in the left corner then for his second try or his first try or whatever. That's where Keith Earls would have been. Yeah. Now, now Lowe was just carrying so well, you don't know if an extra player would no. have made a blind bit of difference. But well, look, for the first call, I, I do think that's a fair call. I think the the law itself has to change. And I, like it should be one or the other. It should be a yellow card or the penalty try. Not both. Not both, unless... You know, it's it's, a, cynical it's really cynical. Yeah. Like like we've seen guys, you know, diving like over the line and when there's like a tight run up you know just for an instant like that it should just be a yellow card or a penalty try okay so the second one then is Keith Earl's disallowed try in the second half do you have the rule the law for this one I do I've done my Read research it. okay so it says uh, so basically what the reason that the try was disallowed well is that this yeah because this is where I come there was the reason it was disallowed and then there so was Sammy the, Arnold tackled the Lencer player and in the tackle the ball got knocked out of the Lencer player's hands and Keith Earls went for well, and it, 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 it this it hit um, Arnold, on the, Arnold, Arnold on the head. So he didn't knock Which, it on, but it hit him on the head. On the head, but the wall... Yes, okay, yeah. So the law states that a player is offside in open play if that player is in front of a teammate who is carrying the ball or who last played it. An offside player must not interfere with play. This includes playing the ball or tackling a ball carrier. So basically, even though he didn't knock it on or kick it, Sammy Arnold was the last person to play the ball because it came off his head, which seems ridiculous, but that's what happened. But and because of that, not... Keith Earls was in front of him, and because of that, Keith Earls was offside. And therefore yes, offside. but that's not the call that was made. This is where this is where the, the, the issue ah, is. Ah, right. So Keith Earls was uh, penalised for being offside because... he was Sorry, he wasn't even being penalised for being offside. Arnold was penalised for a knock-on, for a deliberate knock-on. Okay. And that's where the debate, this debate kind of came out of. Because then people are like, well, it hit his head. So then, and, but then... So it's the right call for the wrong reasons. It's the right call for the wrong reasons. Because Earls was offside. And I, and and again, because of the law, like, it, it's the right call. Yeah. It is the right call. It's harsh. It's... And it's unfair. But I think... It's harsh, but... If Munster, like, I suppose, again, I can't help but feeling that even if the Earls try had been allowed, and even if the penalty try hadn't been given... Leinster still had an extra gear that they could go to if they needed to. Yeah, and I do like. I do think. I do think that 
Van Grand's comments afterwards weren't exactly accurate when he said that's a that's a fourteen point turnaround. I'm like I'm not entirely sure that's that's yeah. true there. I, yeah, I think like it, look, it's a difficult one to know. I I would have. It said, must be hard to take as one play though, because I haven't beaten the field. Yeah, now, beaten Lenser in fucking however, forever. I will give I will give them this that I do think that there were other calls, and we mentioned uh, Andrew Porter and, and the, the scrums. There were a lot of co- there were. It wasn't his best day at the office for Ben Whitehouse. He's a fucking crap referee. The refereeing standard is quite bad. And do you know what Not actually? From do, him, but do you know what I heard? Do you know the, the linesman him. who kept interfering and giving yes, giving him yeah, the old yeah. narky narky in the air? So I have on very good advice that uh, he refereed a Clontarf game, a local Clontarf game, on Friday night before the match. There was thirty-seven penalties given, six yellow cards, and one red card in one match. Who was that? Was it Davies? Uh, no, this young fella. He's like a twenty-two-year-old guy. Oh, okay. And uh, while I was watching it, I was I said to the, my stepdad, I was like, "This fucker's trying to make a name for himself." But he kept coming in, mm. and obviously he kind of is a little bit like they they, they have released. There was an article released today. About the forty-two about they're trying to make this the standard of refereeing, five-year plan to make the standard of refereeing. Yeah. Higher, I do think like, I agree with you. I'm becoming, I'm getting to agree with you that maybe Elaine Roland isn't as brilliant a referee as he was. Maybe he's not doing the best of jobs. No, and, and, and look, maybe, maybe I, in fairness, I, I don't think he is, but maybe I'm also being harsh on him because I don't know exactly. Well, I don't know exactly what that job entails or how he's doing it. Yeah. But I will say, we're just shooting from the hip here. Yeah, we're just as like, ever on tomato salad. Yeah. He's been shooting. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, White House was 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 fairly poor this weekend. There were a lot. There were a number of other matches where refereeing wasn't great either. I just think that there has been a, a re- serious dip in world rugby. Relies way too heavily on Nigel Owens, Wayne Barnes, and Garces, and even to a certain extent Poit, who isn't even that good. But like, you know, there yeah. isn't enough. They're not. How are they Angus, bringing better? Angus Gardner, uh, All Blacks New Zealand at the weekend, Australian young lad. I like him. I thought always he had been, a very good game. Always been consistent, and and, and he has an empathy for the flow of the game. Like he, no, like Owens has. He a does, bit. and I think this is the thing, and I think I like. Letter again, you you come in and I try to defend some people with calls and go, look, letter of the law, yes, and yet the same thing happens in another match and the ref will be like, no, let it play on because again, he's he's interpreting the flow of the game. I just think it doesn't seem to me to be the most difficult thing in the world to get consistency, and yeah. yet somehow we are we're just getting further and further. And like the uh, the world rugby, what was it? they were talking about a couple of weeks ago that the TMO. Uh, they're now their roles are now being reduced. Yeah, I was like that. That's not. It's all the sort of pushing paper around. You're well, not. I think they're constantly. The th- I think in fairness to them, like I mean, in, in fairness to them in in rugby, I think more so than any other sport that I'm aware of. So I'm obviously not aware of whatever, but like croquet, the, no, croquet, <laughs> <laughs> croquet. Um, but that that they do tweak the rules in an effort to consistently improve. How watchable it is. Yeah. In fairness okay. to them, right? And obviously they're not always going to get that right. But so, stuff like they bring the TMO in to assist the referees to make the game fairer. And that gets out of hand. So they're trying to rein that back in. I do think there's inconsistency around tackle height and all that kind of stuff. There are issues there refereeing. And I do think there's too much scope for interpretation. Mm-hmm. Like teams before every match are going to do deep analysis on what will this referee let me away with and what will he not referee about. And I just think they need to... There has to be a way in which they can make that more consistent, I feel. Yeah. Well, I think the best way of doing that is, and why, and I, again, you're right that they rely too heavily on him, but why Nigel Owens is such a good referee is because he talks to the players. I mean, if you're he in... He tells them his thinking process. If you're 10 minutes into a match, and if you don't know what Nigel Owens is going to do, then you're not paying attention, because he is always going to be open with uh, players. Uh, Wayne Barnes, to a certain degree, is And good referees their, set their stall out early. They yeah. say, this is... so they go, And they do it before the match even kicks off. They but go they reinforce it on the pitch. On the pitch, absolutely. Yeah. But they've gone into the dressing room, they've gone, lads, this is you know, and they've had their chat, and so like if you're ten, but I don't know that other referees, and I'm not saying they need to you know be, be hogging this limelight like your this TMO or whatever or trying to get there. Just, but they do need to be having the words with the with the teams, yeah, and, and like on the pitch and go, like because if there's one thing that happens with Nigel Owens on a penalty, he he almost writes a book for the for the player on the explanation of why it's given. And and, and you know, and we might, we might finish on this because I want to get on to a bit of European rugby before we finish up. Mm. But what Nigel owns, what the best referees do is they de-escalate. They all, they're constantly de-escalating. They're explaining, this is why this, this is why that, I'm sorry about this, blah blah You hear them constantly talking to the captains of decision makers and that kind of de-escalates. <laughs> like, yeah. If you look at the, the Connacht Ulster game, there was so much argy-bargy going on that obviously people were getting a bit tickled with each other. But anyway, so what... What are we to take? What are we to take from the Leinster Munster game? 
a fantastic exhibition of rugby. Best a fantastic weekend of rugby for Irish rugby. Irish rugby is in a great place. It is. It is in a very, very good place. A lot of, although I, and I know this is going to happen, I'm going to go into work tomorrow and I'm going to have a few of the Connacht lads telling me about all the, the names that need to be on that Irish seat. And I'm going to, uh, lads, calm down. They're a good side. I'm liking them, but they're not getting there. Put the answer in the audience. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was a good weekend. A lot of, um, for the, for the most part, I think, some also lads. Uh, it was great to see Rory Best back and he put in a good shift. So, you know, it's interesting going forward. Certainly, even Munster losing, you know, Connacht uh, or Lancer can all take pretty pretty good pride in what happened. Setting up some, int- certainly an interesting starting week too. Well, for Europe, there's some massive games coming. I suppose the, the biggest one, I think, that is looming on the horizon for me is the Munster-Exeter game. Probably uh, the biggest game of the, the weekend. If Munster win that game without Matheson or Murray, it will be their biggest victory in any competition since they last won the Heineken Cup or the European Cup or whatever you want to call it like Exeter have won five they're five from five with four bonus points from those five games Yeah, they are absolutely between themselves and Saracens they have everybody left behind in the Premiership and like not many teams go to Sandy Park and in fact it was Leinster going to Sandy Park last year and beating Exeter up in their own game Which that said, really laid down the marker to say we are here to contend yeah, for this European that was our that was a kind of our no it wasn't exactly like our Claremont semi-final that year but it was it was it was the game that everybody set went, the stall out. This actually, this is the team. These guys we, could be, could, yeah, could, could be absolutely, yeah. Probably put us just that bit above everybody else in terms of belief that people. Like Exeter are not a team littered with superstars by any measure or means, but they just play this brutal form of rugby, and like they do not. And this is the thing: Munster have been quite effective at off counter attack. Exeter don't turn the ball over. No. So Munster, like they have to have Clude on the pitch, <coughs> they have to have O'Mahony on the pitch, they have to have Stander on the pitch, and they need to have the game. And between if Tideburn, Clute, Stander, and O'Mahony don't negate Exeter's rook, Munster having a hope. It doesn't even matter what scrum half there is on the pitch. I, yeah, but I think Exeter are going to be hit now with the fact that Sam Underhill's gone. He's injured, so they're missing him and they're missing some one or two other players. And I think that will hit them, but the fact is, Munster are, Munster are away. They're going down to. Munster haven't won away so far this season. Yeah. And they're going to. They're going to a team in Exeter who, in, in comparison with Saracens, and I just watching the two of them, I think Exeter are a bit more, they're the more, like, Saracens could get out ahead of you after a while and the, the game's gone. You can't get that back. Exeter are just there to, the grind, dry, you. to grind you. And the thing with Munster is, they've Munster have consistently struggled with teams that stopped them on the game line. Mm. Leinster, Saracens, Racing Metro, teams with big packs who are technically efficient, who are prevent them from getting over the game line and getting their backs from football and like Exeter will have done their research like Rob Baxter I think if Baxter, if Baxter go if Schmidt goes Baxter is a fellow that they should be definitely on that shortlist I think he's considering that Exeter don't have all the you know English players in their team and no. blah, 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 it's well, incredible that was, that how effective was, that was there. something I remember we vaguely touched on about it when we were talking about you know Cipriani not getting into that English squad and stuff yeah. like that Exeter could be really like pissed off or delighted because they don't have to lose players but that so many of their players are being overlooked and you have to go well why we're like they are a really really good force they their players are quite outstanding, but I think perhaps it could be the fact that they just play better at Exeter and they play because that's what Baxter Candy does. Park, yeah, it's a hard that's what and, Baxter and does. And they have they have that amazing chant the crowd do my favorite chant. Oh yeah. I, oh, No, but like it's a bit, I mean, if Munster win there, even if Munster get a losing bonus point there, they'll be doing be, extremely well. Yes, yeah, that'll be a big victory. Um, there. But I think that's gonna be the that's gonna be the best game of the weekend. Not the open, not an open game, but no, a very tight, it'll be maybe, dirty. one for the one for the purists. If it could if it could just rain and, and be a real muddy pitch, <laughs> that'd be perfect. That'd be perfect for yeah. us. Uh, Leinster Wasps, you'd have to see Leinster winning that match. Wasps, well, obviously, Wasp coming off of the feet at the weekend to Gloucester by the resurgent and amazing Danny Cipriani, the golden wrists the, of Danny Cipriani. Yeah. Um, you just think Leinster with Sexton yeah. and Ringrose and Furlong to come back in the way I mean, they're we're playing. Not, we're not looking down. I think as far as I remember, not no injuries came out of the monster game. Looking like like a full strength side. So I th- like it uh, in the RDS. It's a difficult one to see past Leinster. Yeah, I mean, with the, even with just the power of Leinster's bench, if you yeah. can be bringing you know Porter and Jack McGrath and Sean O'Brien and Josh Van der Fleer or whoever it is off the bench. Josh Van der Player, or even start them, even start them, or whoever, whatever way you pick, you pick it. The, yeah. I do think against a team like Wasps. The balance of um, Ruddock and Levy is really important. That like bashing 
brace of hard carrying six and a much more kind of dynamic seven mm. and Josh van der Fleer is just impossible to play against so like tired bodies him coming off I could see him getting a couple of turnovers but I could see Leinster I could see Leinster getting a bonus point try out of that yeah. I mean, well with the, way the Wasp, with the way Wasps are playing at the moment and the way the RDS is laid out it's not going to allow them to play the game, the open game that they're trying to play at this at this time in the in the Premiership. But, and if they try and play the open game between Henshaw, Ringrose, and Lowe, if they throw the ball around loosely, they'll be intercepted. They will, yeah. yeah. And, but I, I think like Lancer put it up the jumper for the first first period, first few periods, which is something they've been doing. They have, Let's actually yeah. keep our eye on that because I think Lancer are changing their attacking model. I think they're focusing more on defense, less possession. Than I think they're starting they, like much like we've seen before, and we've talked about that. The Lancer sort of. Trying to not copy, yeah, yeah, but yeah, looking yeah. at models of the All Blacks and that type of thing, and it's, I think they they are looking at wearing the opposition down, and then just kind of enjoying the rest of it. But they just run they, away they, from they the last twenty minutes. Yeah, and I think we're going to see that against Wasps. Um, now I could be wrong. I did say Ulster were going to be Connacht, so I was wrong there. But but Ulster, the Ulster Leicester game. Just to have a look at that, like it's two fading former powerhouses of European rugby, or maybe well, struggling know, to Les- research yeah, themselves I, I, or something. I was, I was pretty impressed now with Leicester on Saturday in the pissings of rain in Twickenham. Um, I was impressed by them, and I think I do think they're moving in the right direction. Perhaps not getting all the all the cogs in the right places just yet, but it'll be a tough one. That will be, but it'll be again, it'll be an interesting, an, an interesting setup. And then Connacht are taking on Bordeaux, whoever they are, big lads. You would imagine Connacht to win that at home. Oh, Very yeah. disappointing if Connacht yeah. don't get on the yeah. 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 So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you, as always, for uh, joining us. If you do have any questions going forward or would like them read out on the pod, please always email us at tomatosaladpod at gmail.com. You can catch us on Twitter, where our handle is tomatosaladpod. Well, at tomatosaladpod. At tomatosaladpod. I don't know how Twitter works. We're on Facebook. You can find us on SoundCloud, Acast, and iTunes. And we'll be back next week to have a look at a very exciting first week of European rugby. Thanks for joining me, Andy. No worries. I'll let you head off to the cot now. Always delighted. <laughs> it's a matter of sound. <laughs>